0: Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in. I'm Priyanka and this is the Supply Chain Scoop, your midweek source of refreshing supply chain content and stories straight from titans in the industry. Today I'm in conversation with James Gagne, President and CEO of Seco Logistics. James brings with him 24 years of experience in the transportation and logistics industry and has spent significant time in China heading up companies like Agility and D.B. Schenker. During this time, James has also headed multiple mergers and acquisitions. Where consolidation is something that's becoming increasingly common in the logistics industry in North America, I'm sure that that experience comes in very handy. Seco has undergone tremendous growth over the years and has also recently partnered with Hermes Logistics in Germany. I'm really excited to talk to James today about various topics, such as the biggest challenges in logistics and freight forwarding, How do we bridge the talent gap in logistics? How do we solve for the truck driver shortages? And what is the future of cross-border e-commerce? As well as what kinds of innovative partnerships do we need to forge going forward? I'm really excited, so let's get on. Hi there, James, really nice to chat with you today.
1: same here, Priyanka. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Why don't we start with an easy one? How about a quick introduction to yourself and your role at SECO?
1: Um, So my name is James Gagne, and I am the President and Chief Executive Officer of SECO Logistics uh, globally, based in Itasca, Illinois.
0: What are some of the biggest challenges in logistics and freight forwarding today, according to you? Uh, What is it that keeps you up at night?
1: Well, you know, I would say, for the most part, you know, when we talk about logistics, it's a – logistics is a, serv- is, a, is a services business, right? This is in the services industry. Uh, it's always about people and networks, you know, technology. People, I would say, one of the few key things that keeps me up at night is, you know, how do we uh, continue to invest and train and scale uh, our people for tomorrow's challenges, um, scale to be able to deal with the hyper speed of um, uh, growth, if you will, and uh, so the scalability of talent, um, human capital, that's one thing. Uh, another would be, um, you know, when we think about challenges, but also opportunities. Is 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 the industries move into more of a, a, a digital world? You know, uh, what is the future? You know, the, the future of the digital uh, freight forward or the digital 3PL, uh, and that speed and pace of change. A third uh, element that I would I would say, which we're we're excited about, although it's a a challenge and we see that as a great opportunity for our customers, is what's happening with the whole move into all things omni and online. By omni-channel, or omni, I mean the all-encompassing consumer who wants to have his or her product there, you know, right now um, in real time, uh, and who is not satisfied with uh, what you would call the five or seven day delivery and who's looking for their product same day next day and wants the, and wants the, the data feed wants the information uh, in real time if you will for their product so that consumer uh, who mm-hmm. is buying either through their cell, their multiple channel wholesale retail et cetera, uh, that type of consumer so. Those are the three that I would I would mention.
0: Wonderful. I think I might be one of those consumers, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to pick up on a couple of things uh, that you mentioned, James. So now you mentioned that logistics obviously is going digital. With logistics going digital, there seems to be obviously a big talent gap in the industry. How do we solve for that?
1: I think the traditional way of looking at this would be, hey, let's you know look at uh, bringing in um, people who – may have some experience uh, with um, technology but who are industry veterans, right? And, you know, as I've shared with my leadership team and a number of our partners, uh, we want to be anything but traditional in this space. And so uh, what we've been doing uh, in uh, recent uh, years is we have step by step been uh, filling key positions, um, creating ones that we think are, you know, critical for the future uh, with um, experienced, high energy, very driven, um, and very talented individuals who are not necessarily coming from the industry. Uh, So one example is our Chief Operating Officer, Rick. You know, Rick Lee, uh, our Chief Operating Officer, uh, whilst having experience um, with uh, the Courier Express side of the industry, um, has also spent, you know, years uh, doing what we call really working from the other side of the table uh, on the client side, and having procured transportation and logistics services um, in a very senior global supply chain and transportation role, uh, embracing the importance of technology. And I'll be very, very matter of fact. and I'd say, calling out those uh, logistics service providers who might be more in the smoke and mirrors department in terms of what their service offering is. And so, it's a pleasure to have Rick as our chief operating officer, and he brings massive experience to the table, not just on the digital side, but specifically also on the client side, which helps us to balance our view on, on, on digital in terms of what our customers are looking for. Um, our, we just ha- we just hired a, a CFO as our, our, our recent CFO, our, our CFO retired, and our new CFO, Matt Brown, um, has uh, tremendous uh, background in um, uh, what I would call more of the, uh, the automation side of things, uh, BI uh, in terms of business intelligence and uh, those type of platforms that are really important, not just to thrive, but really to survive and grow going forward. Uh, and uh, he also has great experience on the M&A side in terms of acquisitions, similar to some of my experience. And so it's a great team considering going forward we're looking really to balance our, both, our organic growth with, um, uh, with M&A. Uh, and uh, again, to come back to the point of automation and digitalization, uh, very savvy. In that space, and so those are just two examples of at the leadership level, um, human capital changes that we've made okay. that that have really spoken to our strategy.
0: That's amazing. Sounds like a fantastic team that you have up there. Uh, you yourself have spent a considerable part of your career in China. Um, I'd be really keen to understand, uh, you know, the biggest differences <clears throat> between working in logistics in North America versus China.
1: Well, do we, do we have a few hours to talk about that, or do we have a <laughs> few minutes? <laughs> um, what a topic. Um, thank you for asking me that question, I appreciate it. The, uh, you know, um, I, I get asked this question periodically, and, um, you know, uh, one of the questions I received recently, Priyanka, um, not long ago, I should say, after spending some time back here, I said, James, you know, what's, what's one of the biggest changes that you have experience culturally in moving back to the U.S., both, I think, in the workplace and on a personal level. And I, I said, you know, the United States is such a vast country, just like China is such a vast country. And I do feel that on a number of levels, the countries have a lot more in common than people think. Hmm. Culturally, there are many cultures within China. And I feel in the U.S., you know, I travel to Oklahoma, I go to Nashville, Tennessee, wherever I may be around the states visiting our partners, meeting with our clients, uh, you know, not every place is like New York City or like Atlanta or like Dallas, right? We're all, they're different. Um, uh, and, and so I, I love the, the diversity is awesome, uh, if you will, mm-hmm. just like there's a lot of diversity in China. And, I, I, you know, what I would say is one notable difference is I, I think that, and it's probably more of a call to arms for us in the U.S., that is, the pace of change, I, you know, in the United States, it actually is growing. It's, it's growing much faster. But I think, in terms of grasping that hyper uh, pace of change with technology in China, is even is even faster than what's happening in the United States. Let me give you an example, so that this this is not a, a too fluffy a comment for the audience. Um, if you go to Shanghai today, or Beijing, or wherever you may be, um, you'll find that. Uh, Many, many, many people do not even need cash to live their lives. They don't need cash to function, to function in society. Uh, you know, I was on a line uh, to buy a drink at one of these convenience stores not long ago, and I was like number eight on the queue. The seven people in front of me were using their WeChat uh, platform and their QR code to to buy uh, the products that they were buying at the store. And then I came up to the register with my cash, and the, <laughs> the, the, the person behind the desk looked at me like I was from outer space uh, because I had cash. You know many Chinese today travel around the world and they, they come unstuck because they haven 't realized that there are many other parts of the world that are not completely almost completely cashless that 's not to say that china 's completely cashless, but you get my point in terms of the changes the, the, the the, the matriculation of mobile payment, the mobile payment industry is is unbelievable. The pace is phenomenal in China. Um, why I mention that is that it's gonna that has an impact on the state of logistics. If you think about buying stuff online, using gaming platforms to to purchase products, uh, you know, and having capital accounts on those platforms, this is a ama- this is also I think a, a difference that is is growing. Um, you know, people are people. I, I think that that we all universally have similar motivations and need for good management, you know, coaching, mm-hmm. mentorship, partnership, whether it's in the U.S. or China. So I don't see, and I wouldn't comment on a major difference there, but I would say the pace of technological change, what is happening there, um, I feel is, is faster, and I think we have a lot of catching up to do.
0: Wow, that sounds incredibly interesting. And I'm going to take you up on another conversation specifically just for this. But in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to the next one. How do we solve for the truck driver shortages in the U.S.?
1: Priyanka, if you and I both the exact <laughs> answer to that, I could tell you we'll be doing something else. No. Um, that is a great question. Uh, you know, in fact, um, we have uh, been spending I would say some real quality time, uh, not just in Seco, uh, but also in other forums. Um, you know, I, I speak on various panels and uh, engage with other contemporaries in the in the, in the more of the macro, high-level discussion on this issue. Um, I was actually talking with uh, <clears throat> uh, someone from the um, more on the investment bank side of the industry recently, and other players about about this, and uh, we were we were in a really good debate and a healthy debate about whether this is a structural issue or we're going to see um, the driver shortage issue, you know, mitigate in a significant fashion in the next six to 12 months. Um, And you may say, well, James, how could that happen given everything we're reading and hearing about? Well, the only way that we could see that happen um, in terms of a a waning uh, negative impact, if you will, or improving situation would be if we saw demand for uh, short haul and particularly long haul, line haul trucking services uh, go down significantly, so what could cause that? Well, obviously if the economy was to slow um, you know, in the second half of next year or get you know, if we were to see a slowdown, uh, there's no doubt that would impact positively, if you want to call it, the crux of the, and crunch of the issue with drivers. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would go away because this is more of a generational issue versus it's not, you know, if you look at what's happening with uh, kids coming out of school today who's interested in taking these roles and specifically the long haul driver, the long haul versus a short haul. On short haul, you could be home at night. On long haul, you're not going to be home at night. And when you look at what's, you know, the, the gap in generations, particularly with, um, you know, millennials and the next generation, you've got... Uh, a lot of people who are compared to say my generation or the generation before myself, who are not um, uh, disposed to putting in those kind of hours and spending that kind of time away from home and are searching for probably you know more and more purpose in what they do, and they can't find that necessarily in uh, line, you know in running a long haul. So um, what do we do? Well, uh, we, we can see clearly that, Asset uh, players out there, and we're more of non-asset. So <clears throat> the asset players are paying a lot more. Um, we're seeing and we're hearing more stories now about, you know, uh, investments in vocational schools to train 18-year-olds earlier on to get into this type of the business.
0: Wow.
1: Um, we're looking at, I believe, there's more focus on how to attract, um, you know, the other, you know, other genders uh, for for this type of work. And um, I would say uh, in addition to increasing uh, salaries and stuff like that, you know, we are, um, as uh, SECO, as uh, you know, we're also looking at, well, you know, how does one look at running a line haul service um, and creating more uh, capacity uh, doing that versus um, outsourcing, if you will, a large chunk of, of, of what we'll call long haul today. Uh, you may say, but, James, how is that really going to solve to the driver shortage itself? Well, it doesn't completely solve to the driver shortage issue, which was your question. Uh, but what it does do is, is in our industry, for our clients, is it provides more flexibility and less uh, lower risk on uh, the kind of uh, price hikes that could come to players who are completely dependent on on a handful of companies to manage their trucking for them and for their clients uh, for that part. So. Those are some ways, you know, driverless um, um, uh, driverless vehicles, more autonomous vehicles, um, I was just on a panel, this came up in a, in a big way, as you can imagine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, our view on that pretty clearly is for your long haul, okay, meaning your, your um, lanes and for your trips that uh, typically will be, you know, interstate, uh, and that will um, not touch an inner city, if you will, or a very dense urban area, that we are quite positive and quite bullish on uh, the advent of of, of autonomous vehicles. I was just reading, uh, and I hope I'm not going too far off here, but an article, I was just picking up an article earlier this morning at home, and they were talking about, um, I think it was Rolls-Royce and and a a particular carrier uh, are teaming up to look at autonomous ships. Uh, autonomous vessels, right, mm-hmm. that are today, you know, your 20,000 plus TU ships on the container industry, container ship industry that, you know, is complementary to what we do. And I thought that was amazing because of what's happening with, um, you know, I mean, cr- crews are a lot smaller than they, than the, where they were 20 years ago. You can have massive ships that only have, a, you know, a handful of people now. But the, the whole point there is, is, you know, what are we doing about fuel? What are we doing about, you know, um, autonomous ships, things like that. So back to, uh, trucking, we see that on the long haul. We do not see that on the uh, dense urban areas, not at all, because safety, among other reasons. If it if it is adopted, it's going to take it's going to take a lot lot longer time than that of uh, what we would call your your long haul. So that is definitely a technology play that we believe is going to change the game in the, in the in the months and years to come.
0: Right. And if you were to put money on which year you would think long-haul autonomous trucks actually become commercially quite common, uh, how many years are you looking at, you would you would think?
1: Well, um, I would say that if we want to talk about more uh, commercially adapted and more, you know, call it ubiquitous, if you will, mm-hmm. that's probably going to be another 10 years or so. Um, I wouldn't suggest 20, but I wouldn't suggest five. I think we're talking a good 10-plus years out, if you will, for that. But in terms of you know, how we see this continuing to drip feed into what we do uh, in the network in the marketplace, um, I believe you're just going to continue to see more and more progress in this area because, again, it is just you know, it's the nature of your, of your question. Um, does it mean that you're uh, not ever going to have people in these trucks? Uh, I would also argue that there's a question mark there, um, but does it mean that you might have people that you know, are maybe okay to not retire as soon as they were planning to uh, spend uh, more time in the industry if they're right. going to be operating an autonomous vehicle or be there for those emergencies? Then the answer would be that uh, I think we might see that as a positive uh, um, uh, you know, derivative coming from this.
0: Yep. Makes sense. Uh, Let's see how that plays out. Another question. So Seeker has recently gotten into a a really interesting strategic collaboration with Hermes in Germany. Why and what impact do you think uh, that'll have?
1: Part of our strategy, uh, one of our three uh, strategic imperatives, global strategic imperatives that we launched about two years ago was that we will strengthen our global network as a company. Um, You know, Despite uh, the innovation and the focus that we have had on building out our own IP in Seco, which uh, I would just share with the audience, we have been so purposeful and focused in the last, you know, 10, 15 years plus on, and even longer, on um, building out and uh, owning our own IP as it relates to enterprise applications that derive value for our clients, such as uh, a warehouse management system, transport management system, uh, what we do on demand chain, Uh, for visibility, etc., you know, it's really important to have a network uh, that is there to really be relied upon and to deliver value for our clients, our customers, you know, whether they're American accounts uh, or they're Chinese customers, they're global in nature, right, and they've been global in nature for some time. And uh, whilst we have been in Germany, uh, we have found that You know, uh, despite the importance of SECO's name and our brand equity and our flag, uh, we have felt that we can bring much more value to our customers of today and our clients and customers of tomorrow, uh, whether they're uh, looking for or searching for uh, white glove type of services and support, uh, whether that is a two-man home delivery for a big bulky product or that is a parcel that you or I are buying, you know, or uh, sourcing cross-border. Um, by having a scalable, um, investment-savvy and in, in the area of technology, uh, cross-border, e-commerce-focused supply-slash-demand-chain forwarder in that country, and one who is really scalable, um, and one, by the way, who does not have a network in the U.S., does not have its own operations in China and other markets, and who has been more than willing to go uh, exclusive to work with us in, in certain key markets, mm-hmm. um, we found that company in Hermes. And uh, we took the step um, at the senior level of the company to agree um, on you know matters of exclusivity so that we could, you know, we could make one and one equal four or five for our clients going forward. So, you know, we're very, very pleased uh, to have gained a well-established partner in Hermes. You know, Priyanka, they're one of the largest players on European parcel and two-man handling, not just Germany, uh, the UK, France, other areas, um, European parcel two-man handling market, and they're just a highly, highly efficient provider of supply chain solutions. So. You know, this partnership is really going to blend together uh, the heritage, the experience, and really innovative services of two, you know, putting us in there of course, highly respected logistics companies, (laughs) whilst it's going to strengthen our respective global network and our local presence. And so this is a departure from where SECO has been in the past as it relates to how it looks at, at its relationships internationally. And I gotta tell you, with all the clients that I have the fortune of spending time with around the network, both internationally as well as in the United States, when when topics like this come up, what we hear from our customers is they say, we are not concerned that you have to totally own operations in 125 countries or in 80 countries or that you need 5,000 offices. We are much more concerned about your ability and I'm gonna use a word here that um, I hope doesn't offend anyone in the audience, but when you make commitments, you live up to them, and in my terms, you get shit done. And when it comes to Hermes and it comes to the SECO relationship, my confidence level grows by the day that in a very important market in, in the uh, Europe, Europe zone, in the EU, that is a large, manu- still a very large manufacturing center of the world, big chunk of its GDP derived from manufacturing, and a growing cross-border market that can really lend itself to providing global solutions for you know, lanes like Australia, China, um, the United States, Mexico, and others, and pulling that together, uh, we found a really scalable, exciting partner. So we're really excited for our clients and for SECO, and thanks for asking me that question.
0: That sounds absolutely fantastic. Also sounds like a really great partnership, uh, especially when it's a win for um, yourself, your partner, and your customers. Uh, So that actually does sound fantastic. Um, Thanks, James. Um, A little bit about technology. Um, What Mm. is the top most innovative idea or solution in this space that you've heard of recently uh, that you're keen to explore, outside of probably autonomous trucks?
1: Yeah, the, um, you know, I there, there are a lot of things I could say to answer this question. Um, w- what I will say to start off is that, you know, I think many would um, want to talk about blockchain or would want to talk about, um, you know, we've already talked about autonomous vehicles. Um, I'll delve a little bit into IoT today or the Internet of Things. Uh, but. What I'd like to share, which um, I think there are many, many people that hopefully will listen to this uh, podcast that will get value out of, is that it, we are um, we are just totally obsessed and fanatical and maniacal about um, building out the true omni experience for our customer base. Um, you know, and, and more specifically, uh, we want to create a future. Um, in terms of what I call creating the future of logistics. I share that a lot with our people because I think that's what we should be doing every single day we get to the office and when we leave and we need to be waking up thinking about it, going to bed thinking about it, and importantly, acting on it. But we are um, obsessed about uh, a new paradigm in the whole industry, which to me is more on, on demand chain versus supply chain. What do I mean by that, Priyanka? I mean... Many, 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 many companies today, they continue to talk about the supply chain and we have many, many clients who have a chief supply chain officer or head of logistics and supply chain and there's certainly nothing uh, wrong with those titles. But we do believe that um, the future of now, the future of yesterday, is really in playing to the client's demand chain and to our customer's demand chains how to react, how to be proactive, how to use predictive analytics, how to get in front of our customers, customers, and to be able to manage better to the demand chain. Because when you think supply chain, you think about logistics as a part of the supply chain. You also have planning. You have sourcing and procurement. You have you know, the manufacturing component. Uh, You have distribution, right? All of those different elements of a supply chain, and logistics is part of that. Well, logistics is becoming a more and more critical element of the demand chain, and that is really when you or myself or others are buying products online in particular, and you don't even know. We may not know that those products are sourced overseas. Mm -hmm. Why? Because of the skew variety. Why? Because of the price point. And you might be buying a product that's actually going to be delivered to you from Germany or UK, or China, or Australia, if it's, say, in the United States, and how long does it take to get to you? What visibility are you getting? What if you wanted to change your mind about, you know, um, and and buy additional products? How do you, you know, what about opportunities to, you know, imagine this, uh, opportunities when you're actually tracking a parcel where you are getting promotional feeds from, the Pure play website or from a retailer that you're purchasing that product online for, on the tracking site of your product, you're actually getting updates on new products that are being offered that can take you directly to that, that product and then the checkout aisle. Um, and that definitely supports uh, our customers revenue streams because it doesn't become just a conversation about cost i'm getting into branded tracking portals that support promotion so it becomes more about how do we help our clients grow revenue so the technology that we're deploying and you probably can hear it in my voice i'm really passionate about this space you know when i talk to people they look at me and say you you're doing that you know you're you're investing in that well we we're not doing that and and it creates a whole new conversation And if you think about what's happening with retailers today, it's more of what I call the bookends. It's on the extremity of of the conversation. You want to talk about the returns experience and how do you make that more digital? How do we we create value in that space for our uh, customers and their customers in processing a return? There's a lot of statistics out there. As you already know, um, on what happens from an abandonment standpoint, if the returns process experience is lousy, people won't even go back to deal with the retailer, even though they like the products. Yeah. So, so there's a, there's an opportunity there. If I can shift to one other element, because there's so, so much to talk about here, and maybe over a coffee we can continue this at a later date. But um, it's you know IoT. So you may say, well, what is really that you know Internet of Things and logistics? What's that all about, and how do we break that down? You know, think about um, if you're in the fulfillment business like we are, uh, you know, the the customer of yesterday, I like to say to keep us all more competitive and hyper-focused and Mm hyper-paced, the customer of yesterday, you know, with a more digitally and smart device, think about your home, how smart it's becoming, um, whether it's with appliances or other products, you know, our cell phones, how they're becoming smarter. We will not even know it, and we'll actually be requesting that a product gets replenished from a warehouse to be delivered to our home, and we will not even need to go back online for it. Because if it's a certain type of product, then when it's at its end of usage life or it's at its end of its consumption, then we'll be getting uh, you know that product delivered as a as a replenishment to our home, and then we'll be billed for that. And you know to be able to set up our facilities to be focused on that going forward and leveraging IoT. I think this is great stuff. We're very excited about it. Uh, and there's, uh, you know, pr- uh, an example of that, um, if I can use one, because if it wasn't specific enough, printer printer toner, right? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have printers in their homes, and uh, when your toner, your ink cartridges are running low, you don't have to go out to the, uh, the store to buy them. They get to a certain point, it's connected to device, and then a warehouse, uh, you know, 3PL partner fulfills that for you, and then it gets delivered in, you know, 48 hours or whatever it is. Uh, to your home, and then it's right there on your uh, doorstep. Oh wow! I didn't need to go to the store to to go buy that again. So and there, and you're going to see that that you're going to see that grow significantly, I think, over the coming years. It's not going to take a generation for sure about that. So, you know, again, a lot of other things I could share, um, uh, but these are areas that we're very interested in. I'll, I'll put I'll, I'll share one more because I think it's worth noting. Uh, we do a lot in the medical device space in med-tech, mm. and med tech uh, healthcare, and you know, we call part of our white glove service offering. So, you know, if you think about some of these large machines that get delivered, like, you know, CR, uh, CT scanners, MRI machines and whatnot, um, you know, we, we are, d- without a doubt, uh, very clear in our future that, um, you know, hospitals and the people that are responsible for the supply chain the hospital side who are customers of our clients that are major healthcare providers will want to ensure that um, they have a quick, you know, clear visibility and even remotely visibility of... Uh, the residual hours and the number of the hours of usage of a machine, and when it's time for that machine to get uh, replaced, if you will, or brought in for uh, some form of maintenance or repair. And uh, we want to make sure that, you know, our technology is able to provide those type of that type of visibility uh, in addition to the uh, asset demo management program that we run today. So I hope that gives the reader or the audience a little bit of insight into some of the areas that we're passionate about and obsessed about continue to invest in.
0: Yeah, wow, that's hugely exciting uh, and really forward-thinking. I mean, obviously, um, I know this because I work in the space. That logistics is hugely exciting, and uh, but a lot of people that don't seem to think, you know, that it's just moving trucks. But there's really, uh, you know, a lot of really cool stuff going on in the background. Um, so thanks, for, thanks for talking a little bit about that. Um, Final question, uh, and I know you alluded to this before, um, about the importance of strategic collaboration um, yes. and partnerships, uh, especially as you were speaking with Hermes uh, quite passionately, if I might add. Um, it's quite clear that companies can't work in isolation anymore, and strategic partnerships are the way forward. Uh, what does an ideal partnership look like, and what kinds of players need to come together?
1: Let me just say that uh, on a few key levels, uh, we have, as we've moved the company forward, you know, my team and I and our partners, we've we, we found that doing things yourself um, and, and even if I take technology as an example, which could be of interest to some, uh, when it comes to technology, we have prided ourselves for many years, as I shared earlier, in our ability to um, innovate, you know, and, and really to, I'd call it design um, you know plan design develop uh, disrupt uh, as uh, as Seco and with our own resources uh, in multiple spaces you know including again our, our own um, uh, uh, technology our own enterprise applications and platforms now uh, in the in recent recent years uh, we have come we have come to the foregone conclusion that in order to really scale and deliver more value for our, our clients uh, we have got to recognize and respect, That there are a number of players out there, particularly some of the startups in this space, that are disruptors in their own right, who actually are not trying to um, take our business or you know take our cheese as that book calls it, right, or move Mm -hmm. it. They're they're more really trying to solve like we are solve problems that face the industry. You know, how to digitalize freight forwarding, or it might be how to move the U.S. You know, which I think is a very worthy, very worthy problem to solve. From the EDI environment of the Stone Age into API, um, you know, API, as you know, are software-to-software integrations versus you know your traditional EDI, mm-hmm. and we have a ways to go as a country and as, a, as, an, as an industry and as across industries um, as a universal universal call to arms that we have a lot of work to do uh, as a an economy and a market uh, in that space, um, and so you know, if you take APIs as an example, we do a lot of work in our TMS. Um, we, we have decided that it really doesn't make sense for Seco to be building out these apis which support carrier integrations that provide more options for our customers for example for final mile for a parcel TMS mm-hmm. we partnered up with project 44 um, they're very very well known in this space um, they're not you know trying to solve an issue related to you know matching shippers and clients more of they're really trying to solve to how to create, among other things, I think a more ubiquitous U.S. and other markets in the world that can bring, um, you know, carriers together um, really with a common denominator through open API-type source platforming. And uh, we, think, we think it's great. And we have uh, we've done a lot of work with them, uh, and so I would just mention, I would mention that. Um, but you had a question specifically about what it, what it looks like. I think being able to coexist and, and really being able to work in certain areas exclusively with one another. Um, I think it's important to be consistently, not daily, but on a regular basis, revisiting what value is this partnership, if we want to call it a partnership, really creating. Because if, if if the word partnership is used and there is no value created for the two or three companies involved in the partnership, and our customers are not really getting value um, whether it's a new market, a new technological product, a new capability, a new cost reach and capacity play, whatever it might be, then it's not a partnership, mm-hmm. Priyanka, it, it, it's not. Uh, and so And I think at the very senior levels of the organizations, um, having a relationship at one level does not constitute a partnership. It has to permeate through, if in the case of, say, like Hermes and Seco, as it is more and more, both organizations, um, it has to permeate through uh, that. Uh, and trust, you know, being able to develop that level of trust doesn't happen overnight. You don't just put out a press release, mm-hmm. and then automatically you have a partnership. Um, I think that's a lot of fluff, and I think anybody that says that is, um, well, I wouldn't want to use that word on your podcast, I, I think you oh, know go what I'm mean. then. Um, but. I would just say that, again, it's about, you know, is value being created for the uh, companies entering that partnership for their clients or their customers and for their shareholder partners? To me, that is probably at the essence of, you know, when I think about is this a partnership or not? And to be very candid, um, we've had a number of cases in the last years where uh, I think we had entered agreements, especially with international uh, state agents where it was an agent agreement, but it wasn't a partnership, Priyanka. And we were not really seeing the value for our customers, especially our, our US and China, UK, and other based accounts. And so we've made a, a number of, 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 of areas like that. Really knowing what each of you is strong at and where your wheelhouse is, that's very, very important. You know, mm-hmm. like the example with, uh, with P44. Um, we partner with certain airlines and ocean carriers. Um, they're asset players, we're very asset-like. They have capacity. We don't. We have clients, and we have, you know, we have business uh, which they need and they appreciate. Uh, and so those are examples of that. But you're going to see in the marketplace. I would just posit for the audience, you're going to see, I think, hyper extension uh, of new collaborative deals that may not result in an acquisition, but that may be in part, like part of our strategy. We have organic. We have strategic collaborative partnerships like Hermes. And then we have acquisitions, or M&A, that just downright, we look to acquire a technology, like in the case of um, our Australian uh, partner that we decided we would acquire that um, company in Australia that already has a sprawling global business and is a five-year-old company that we love to still run like a startup because it's very exciting for our clients. We're nimble, we're fast, and we're focusing on investing to further scale that platform to take our cross-border business to um, a hyper million number figure of, of orders per year we're going to process for our accounts and the returns experience so and that plays to our omni-channel strategy and that plays by the way to the demand chain so I'm just trying to tie this all together for the audience if that if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I guess, I guess what you're saying is that the verdict is, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You want to find someone that has the same motivation uh, and vision uh, that you do to solve common challenges within logistics. Uh, but, but companies can coexist, and you want to partner with companies that, have, uh, that, that you can trust uh, and that are on the same path as you are. And that's where magic happens.
1: Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, you, um, um, uh, I just add a little bit more to that because um, I, I, I were a little bit remiss if I didn't, I would be regretful if I didn't say this. <clears throat> I think any form of strategic collaboration um, that has that, you know, multiple level of relationship and, and credibility between the, the companies and really becoming a partnership, both sides see that the val- where, where the value is being created for their respective accounts, um, you know, how if you were to kind of, you know, put more of a, put a Venn diagram diagram in place, how the circles, when they meet, how they create more value for uh, their customers and shareholders and whatnot, it is very important to be very, to be clear in my world on the strategy. You know, what are we really trying to achieve? Um, Any international future partnership that we strike, even deals, even on acquiring companies and acquiring businesses, working within our network, and even with our customers, Priyanka, I found it very exciting to be able to have the time with our customers. It's one of the things I love doing is sharing the story of us and our future and, and how that's going to help our clients. Um, we talk about our, our our global strategy and there's really three major imperatives and I'll say them very quickly because it, if it's not Consistent. It's not clear, and it's too complex. It's not a strategy, and that is number one. We will strengthen our global network through, you know, creating new strategic collaborative partnerships through performance management both in the U.S. and in overseas, um, and investing in what we call these alpha markets, um, both in the U.S. and other locations that support our, our strategy. The second is we will densify our client value proposition, and that basically means in the area of white glove. And in the area of omni-channel, with demand chain at the forefront, is we will continue to focus on acquiring business in terms of uh, landing new customers, growing within our client base, whether they're retailers or others. With the old, you know, the growing omni-consumer and the requirement for white glove services, whether it's in the healthcare industry, store development services, even within other retail and in events management and whatnot, um, even in commercial defense, uh, those two. Um, areas of the value prop are underpinned by our focus on technology that I've talked about a bit today. And our third and final imperative is on globalizing value-creating processes, or VCP. And that gets very much to our client solutions grouping. It gets specifically to how within ground, which is domestic, you were talking about driver shortage how within uh, the ocean side of of the transportation part of the journey, how within the air side of the transportation part of the journey, I call the five P's. How do we think about policy? How do we think about procurement? How do we think about uh, process? How do we think about performance? And how do we think about pricing? All of those. And that we push across the organization. It's an unwavering, steadfast focus. And uh, I love the feedback from our clients when we talk about that because, clients and others say you're so clear about what you want to do and that means you know what you don't want to do Um, and I know you didn't ask about this but strategy is very much about what you don't do or what you do not do versus what you do and uh, you know we have established uh, some bullets around that maybe at another time we could talk about on a podcast uh, if you want to um, you know how to think about strategy and how that relates to the logistics industry so um, lastly uh, or my side I I love my team I'm very passionate about my team in SECO. Uh, we have a great leadership team, and we have a great network in our in the United States, as well as a number of countries overseas. Uh, we are uh, we're really excited about the future, no matter what challenges are thrown at us. Uh, and um, this is just an amazing industry. Logistics is actually a sexy industry. People don't believe me, but it is. And we dream big, <laughs> we have fun, and we, we get shit done
0: sounds fantastic well this was uh, this is a really uh, tie- up to a lot of the stuff that you've mentioned uh, and I think I'm definitely going to take you up on uh, that second podcast and I've been taking awesome. a lot of additional questions a lot of things that I wanted to ask off the back of what you said but in the interest of time I couldn't um, uh, and I think this all sounds fantastic there's uh, a lot of cool things happening on the horizon um, and I am I for one certainly believe logistics is sexy which is why I'm in the industry uh, and hopefully after listening to this Um, A few more people will believe so if they don't already. Um, It was really nice chatting with you, James. Thank you so much for taking out the time to speak with me.
1: Thank you very much, Priyanka. Thank you.